got a question to just maybe get us thinking this morning. Let me just ask, have you ever been in a waiting room for what seems like an eternity? Anyone? A waiting room for an eternity. Or maybe that you've had this experience, have you stood in line where you felt like you'd been there for hours and the line had not moved? Anybody stood in that that eternal, never-ending line. I'm going to hazard a guess that all of us have had a, a time in our lives when we have had to wait. And I, I just want to invite you to think about, like, what do you do when you're standing? Like, do you just watch the clock and, and see it tick? Like, what, what do you do to find the patience you need when you have to wait? Or what about this question? Have you ever been, have you ever been in a really difficult phase of life? One of those phases where maybe you know that it will end or somebody has assured you that this phase of life is going to end, but in the midst of it, you just, you just can't wait until that day arrives because that time in your life is filled with such struggle. Have you ever put a date on the calendar and just known like that after this date, things we know things are going to be better, but, but you're just hanging on for that date to happen because in the interim, it just feels like it's never going to come. Again, we might reflect on what helps us when we find ourselves waiting in those difficult times in our lives. How do we, how do we survive those times those weights? How do we hang on until those seasons of, of life pass? I just want to invite you today to, to hang on to those questions and, and the, the thoughts that you, that you had that they generate as we continue to explore the encounters of, of people with Jesus today in Matthew's gospel. Would you pray with me? Holy God, Holy God, in these moments, we just, we just pray that you open these words to us, that you, you show us, show us yourself, show us your way in Jesus. We pray that the Spirit might move in and through these words, or even in spite of the words I speak today, that, that, that you may just draw us closer to you deepen our relationship with you, and call us to share the love that we find in Jesus with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday, and, and we celebrate it as we do every year as we gather in this parade and, and celebrate Jesus coming into our midst. We celebrate and declare as they did on that first Palm Sunday, that Jesus is our Lord and King. But I wonder, like if we think about that first Palm Sunday, if we, like those who were there that day, don't have some assumptions and ideas that, that may not be true of this event in our lives. You see, that, that day, those that gathered, they thought Jesus was going to come and, and life was going to get better all of a sudden. 
They thought Jesus was going to come and the, the Roman government would be overthrown and then everything was going to work out. And, and the disciples, they thought that they'd end up with seats in power and positions of power next to, next to Jesus in this, in this new kingdom. They thought it was all going to work out like they expected, like they wanted, but, but it didn't. Which I, I wonder for us as we, as we gather on this Palm Sunday, what, what about us on this day as we celebrate Jesus coming into our lives, as we, as we bow down and worship Jesus as our Lord and King or Lord of, of our lives? What do we expect after encountering Jesus? What in our lives change as we welcome Jesus into our lives today, after we celebrate Jesus coming into our midst. With that question, we're going to look today not so much at, at Palm Sunday, but what Palm Sunday leads into. We're going to stay in Matthew's gospel, as we've been in Matthew's gospel all year so far at, at Clay Church, and we've been looking at these encounters with Jesus. And for those that have been following along, you're probably going to notice that we are jumping from like 13, four, chapter, Matthew 13, 14, all the way to 24 and 25 today. If you're worried about the middle, we're going to come back and get that. But today, we're going we're to jump to where the story of Palm Sunday begins, Matthew's account of what happens between between Palm Sunday and Easter. So let's, let's just set the scene for this encounter for a moment. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to get to Matthew 24 and 25 in a minute. But if we back up a little bit, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a, on a donkey, and the disciples are with him, and people come, and they, they shout Hosanna, and they welcome him as, as Lord and King. And Jesus and the disciples, then they go into Jerusalem, and Jesus goes to the temple, and Matthew tells the story that there he turns over the, the tables of the money changers and he takes on the powers that be and he essentially says this is not how God calls us to live and to be God's people, taking advantage of people. He calls out the hypocrisy. He answers questions about where his authority comes from. And then he repeats this teaching that says that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will actually be the ones to enter the kingdom of heaven first, ahead of those who claim to follow but, but don't offer mercy to the poor and the hurting, who don't pay attention to the injustice and the inequities in the world. It says the tax collectors and the sinners are going to enter the kingdom of God before those who favor judgment and power over mercy and sacrifice. We pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus and the disciples, we're going to see, are leaving the city again. This is what it says in Matthew 24, starting in verse 1. It says, now Jesus left the temple and was going away. His disciples came to point out to him the temple buildings. Jesus responded, Do you see all these things? I assure you that no stone will be left on another. Everything will be demolished. Verse 2. 
Jesus and his followers were likely walking by the temple that Herod had built. It was impressive, so impressive that you can still see the foundation of that temple today. The, the stones were huge. Even engineers today aren't exactly sure how they got them all in place. And as they're walking by, Jesus says to them, this is all going to end and this temple is going to come crumbling down. Now, we don't know for sure why, but Jesus and the disciples are leaving Jerusalem at the end of that day. Maybe it's because Jesus knew he wasn't going to be safe in the city that night. Maybe it's because they knew somebody and had a place to stay just over the, the valley on the, on the other side. What we do know is that they walk past the temple and across the valley and on to the Mount of Olives where they could have looked back over the city of Jerusalem. And so as we can imagine, they're, they're sitting down on the Mount of Olives, they're looking back at, at Jerusalem, they're reflecting on the day that they had. And then we pick up the story there in Matthew 24, 3. Now, while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus is attempting to prepare his followers, his, his disciples, for, for what lies ahead, to, to what, what's going to come. And we get this sense that the disciples, they, get, they start to get worried. Right? We get this in more than one gospel. They start to ask questions. They're like, wait, you're not going to be with us. Wait, what does this mean? What should we be looking for? How are we, how are we going to know when the, when the end of time is, when the end of the age is, is coming? Now, we should pause here. Sometimes the end of the age, when we read end of the age in the Bible, we think of the end of the age, we think of end of time. In fact, I just accidentally said it. But more than likely in the context, the disciples, they've been taught by Jesus to understand that this, this time that they're in, this age of the Roman Empire, this age of oppression and inequity and persecution, they've been taught to, to think that this cannot last. Jesus has said this, this will not last. So more than likely, they're asking, when is this going to end? When is this time of persecution and suffering? When is this time of Roman occupation going to end? When is the end of the age coming? They want to know how to be prepared. They want to know what they should do. No. We aren't going to read all of Matthew chapter 24 and 25 today. We could spend three or four hours and really dig in, but I'm going to guess some of you will get hungry before then. So if, I encourage you to go home today and, and read chapter 24 and 25 because you'll get the, the full sense of the perspective. But, but let me just kind of, we're going to sort of fast forward through 24 and 25 and see what Jesus says in answer to this question, right? The disciples are like, what should we watch for? What, would she, what, what should we do to, to prepare? And Jesus, he begins to answer with symbols and teaching and parables. And, and he'll, he'll share these words of the prophets that were hard for us to understand now. It was hard for them to understand these, these ideas of, of God's judgment ultimately of this idea that the oppression and the times will be hard, but, but God's love, God's mercy will win in the end. But at the heart of all of this, at the heart of Jesus' answer to how to be prepared, he begins with this, keep watching. 
It's not for you to know when the end will come. He gives them things to pay attention to in the world, but he tells them, like, I wish people would hear this today. Don't try and figure out the end date. Yes, God's judgment, God's kingdom will come, but the the when is not for you to know. What you should know is keep watching. Things are going to be difficult, rough sometimes. Don't overreact, just keep watching. False messiahs are going to come. They're going to tell you that they have it all figured out. They're going to tell you that if you'll just follow their way, then life is going to be great, and you're going to get everything you want, and it's going to be good. They're lying. Don't follow them. Just keep watching. If God's love doesn't seem to be winning, then it's not the end. Keep watching. Things may get harder before they get better. Keep watching. And then even more, Jesus tells his followers, not just keep watching, but live as though the the coming could be at any moment. I think of the scout motto, be prepared. Jesus is like telling, telling his followers, be prepared, live as though the God's kingdom could break in at any moment. And you got to imagine the disciples at this point are like, okay, keep watching. Live as though we're ready, but how do we do that? What, what does that look like? And so Jesus, he tells them a story, a parable. He says, he tells a, that some servants were entrusted with the, with the talents of, of their boss. This is Brian's translation and overview, not, not the biblical word, by the way. The, some servants are entrusted with some talents. Think, think money, bags of gold from, from their boss. And they're, they're each given the amount that the, the boss thinks that, that they can sort of care for. And two of them, the first two, they, they take theirs and they put it to use and they gain interest off of it and, and, and they multiply these gifts. And when the, when the boss comes back, they present it and they say, look, we've, we've taken your money, we've, we've invested it's, it's bored fruit, we, we have more, and, and they give it back. And the boss says, great job, well done. But then one of the servants who had, who had one talent, he, he took it, and he just, he just hides it. He hides it away, doesn't do anything with it. And then when the boss returns, he gives it back, and he says, I protected it, I kept it safe. And the boss says, yeah, but you could have done, you could have done more. You could have, you could have multiplied this gift that I had given you. Now, this is very important. Despite how this story may sound, it is not about investing in the stock market. I want you to hear that. This, this story is about how we use the gifts that we've been given. How do we stay ready? Well, Jesus says, use the gifts you've been given let them bear fruit. Let them multiply. Financial gifts, sure. That's probably a part of it. But, but I think Jesus is, is sharing a parable about so much more than that, how we use the talents and experiences and the very gift of life we've been, been given, the, the gift of knowing Jesus' love and, and multiply it. 
How do we live as though Jesus is coming at any moment? We use our gifts in service to the world so that the fruit of our lives might multiply. We serve. Which leads to this final story that Jesus shares in answer to the disciples' question about how to be ready. Jesus tells another story, one that many know of the end of the age, the story of the sheep and the goats. I'm just going to read that today, beginning at Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, and or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you as sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do, for the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's really easy, I think, to read this parable or to hear this parable without the rest of the context and think that somehow we have to do enough good deeds to earn our way into life eternal. But that's not what this parable is about. It's what happens if we pull it out of context. In fact, it's very interesting at the very end of this parable that the eternal punishment that it talks about, um, the word in Greek, it comes from a, an, an original word that meant pruning. And the eternal that goes with it is just essentially the span of time that it takes. And so if we read it in the original Greek, there's this sense that it's not, if you don't do enough good, you are going to eternal punishment. It's that if you don't do enough good, you will have missed 
the message of the kingdom or God's kingdom and therefore will need to be pruned, refined for eternity. Instead, this is a parable about being ready for Jesus coming, for the kingdom breaking in. It's an invitation to, to use our gifts and talents. That was the one right, the, the story right before this. It's an invitation to use your gifts and talents to serve as Jesus served so that when Jesus comes, you and we are ready to know and see that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is at work. You see, the, the arc of Jesus' teaching Throughout the Gospels, the arc is that the way to experience life eternal is to enter into relationship with Jesus and accept his grace and love and mercy. It's not something we earn. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We live into this love of Jesus and accept this grace. So if we put that arc of the biblical context, along with the context that the, the disciples aren't asking how to earn their way into heaven. They're asking how to be prepared in the here and now for God's kingdom to enter what we realize. What we realize that is in the context of this entire encounter with Jesus is Jesus teaching us how to live in the time of waiting how to live before we fully experience God's kingdom. And what does that look like? It's all about serving one another, having compassion for others. Right? This is the best news. Right? This is Jesus telling his followers, telling us, if you're watching for and serving those on the margins, if you are feeding people and helping people who feel unloved know that they are loved, if you are reaching out to the, to the outcast, if you are standing for the kind of justice that God wants for God's world, right, then you're going to encounter Jesus maybe even without knowing it. If you will have compassion and not just say, I feel sorry for them, but if you will suffer with and enter in to the struggles of others and care for them and meet their needs, you'll encounter Jesus in those very acts of service. The way to be sure we encounter Jesus is to keep watching and to keep serving. In the first church where I served, I uh, had the incredible pleasure of leading mission trips for youth. And the first one was to Alaska. Tough gig, I know. Um, but uh, but the first one I hadn't even really prepared to go on, and suddenly the, the youth leader was resigning and asked if I would lead this trip, and I said, sure, and it was such an amazing experience. And then every summer, we'd, we'd do a couple of these mission experiences for kids, and after a couple of years of leading these, they were such a fantastic experience, but it, after a couple of years, I realized something profound about mission trips with youth. The youth 
who would go on these mission trips were incredibly likely to come back with a deeper relationship with Jesus. They were more likely to join the life of the church and continue to love and to lead and and to serve. And they were more likely to to have access to that kind of joy that, that carries you through the tumultuous times. And as we all know, teenagers have plenty of those I never did a study, I wish I had, but I'm going to guess it was 80, 85% of youth that went on mission trips came back changed with deeper relationships and commitments to Jesus. Parents would notice it, and then other parents began to ask, because this is always a question parents ask of their kids about faith, because they want their kids to have faith. They'd be like, how do I get my kid to come to church? What they really meant was come to worship, right? But how do I get my kid to come to church? Because they say it's boring and they don't want to come. And I realized that the answer for them, I'm like, send them on a mission trip. Like, don't give them a choice. Just send them on a mission trip. And the reason is because when, when these young people, when they went out to serve when they entered into the brokenness of the world and they experienced that just by showing up, they could carry Jesus' love to people, they were changed. They found a relationship with Jesus that brought more hope and more goodness. They found that they could see where God's kingdom was, was breaking in. I remember one young guy in particular, and I remember him in particular because like seventh grade, eighth grade, into his freshman year, he was a challenge. He, he was the kid who, like, just when you were ready to sort of break through and get to a, a, a deep connectional moment with kids, he'd crack a joke and make sure everybody pay, was paying attention to him. He was the one who was, you know, he was the, the, the clown, the troublemaker, and, uh, and he went on this mission trip with us, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. And we visited a Native American reservation, and it was a tough week. It was a tough week. That there were people on the reservation who didn't want us there, and so there were these carloads of people who were, who were like yelling and cursing at our kids. It was, it was just not, not an easy week, but this young guy, he ended up working on this house where he got to have lunch with the resident probably because he didn't want to work, and so he took long lunches with the resident who lived there. And he visited, and toward the end of the experience, this resident in tears said to him, she's like, I feel so loved this week. She's like, I can't imagine that a group of teenagers would give up a whole week of their summer to come and work on my house. And this young man, he was changed. He came back. He got involved he wanted to lead. We, we had young, older kids who led younger kids on retreat, and they'd give talks. And, and he's like, I want to give one of those talks. And I was like, uh, I, um, I don't know about that, bud. But he really wanted to do it, and so we, we gave him a, a topic to talk about. And it was one of the most powerful retreat talks because he, he talked about how his life had all, been all about him, that he hadn't really really cared for others 
that he just figured everybody kind of had it made like his life had it made. And then he saw people with real need and real hurt, and he realized that, that they needed help and that he could be part of it. I share all this because this is not only true of youth. In the difficult and uncertain and tumultuous times when, when it would be easy in our world to just climb into, a, climb into a hole and just wait until things get better or put that date on the calendar and just hope it comes, Jesus invited his followers to wait, not by doing nothing, he invited his, his followers to, to wait through those most difficult times by stepping out and serving, to encounter Jesus in the here and now through acts of service, by caring for others, by being the body of Christ. Right, we hear this invitation in today's encounter of the disciples with Jesus. Like, we're probably asking the same questions. Like, how do we, how do we know when when God's kingdom is going to break in? How do we hang on in the midst of the times that are more challenging and more difficult? And we hear this invitation to, to find a deeper faith, a deeper sense of hope and, and comfort by serving others. Because it's in those moments, Jesus shares, when we'll encounter him when we'll encounter the depth of his grace and his mercy. It's in those moments when you and me, when we meet Jesus. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm stuck waiting in a waiting room, right, I'm kind of thankful now that I have a cell phone because it gives me something to do while I'm sitting there. But the truth is, usually when I'm stuck sitting in a waiting room, I start a conversation with somebody. Just ask them how it's going in their lives. Drives my kids nuts, by the way. Because it gives me something to do, and particularly if I'm focused not just on myself and whatever impatience I have, as I sit there and, and have a conversation with somebody else and focus on, on somebody else, it makes the time pass. And when we're in the midst of a difficult time, I can't speak for all of us, but I'm guessing it helps to have somebody walking alongside you, to know that you're not alone, right? To, or, or, or to get involved with somebody else, even just to share what's going on so that so that we know that we, there's hope to hang on to, that, that good will, will come again. So here's, I think, our invitation in this encounter of Jesus, Palm Sunday leading into Holy Week. I think we're invited to, to get prepared. To know that while we're waiting for better times, while we're trying to navigate Whatever it is you're navigating in your life, but certainly the, the challenges, the, the struggles of our world, the polarity and the division in the world today, the, the pain, the hurts that we find sometimes in our own families. There's an invitation today to, to step out and to, to serve the marginalized, the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, 
those who need to know they're loved. And in service, maybe, I should say probably, we'll meet Jesus who promises to show up. Amen.